Hey guys, welcome back. Welcome back to the Passive Hang. This is episode three. Thanks so much for joining me. And today I sit down with Jack White. Now, Jack is a movement teacher who operates out of Melbourne, but he's also a lot more than that. He's a yoga teacher, an ex Olympic lifter, a rock climber, skater, surfer. I'm sure there's a few things I've also probably missed, but sort of points to the versatility and width of his practice. And I think this is really admirable since he navigates his own way through these cultures where there are normally barriers between them. Now, I initially met Jack via Instagram. I sent him a message after I was following a lot of his stuff. I was really connecting with the way he was representing information, sharing his insights around his physical practice and also just the observations he was making around his world. And we've been hanging out for a while now. We've been climbing the walls out in Burnley and out in the park. And I think this conversation that we've recorded really captures the essence of the energy that we normally have when we get together. It's really been enjoyable for me. So I hope it's enjoyable for you guys. So we're going to get started here. I hope you guys enjoy this one. If you do, please send me a message, connect with me on Instagram, subscribe to this podcast. I'd really love to hear your feedback. And without any further ado, here we go. All right, let's get this started. <laughs> We're going for another episode on the, on the passive hang. <laughs> And we're having a bit of a laugh here because I couldn't find any quiet spaces, so we're kind of sitting sitting in the middle of my car because <laughs> we're shielded from the elements and from, and from sound. Reminds me of my first date. <laughs> I won't say who. At, the, at this nice park, you know. We'll <laughs> hopefully we'll get to play and roll around together afterwards. But today, today I've got um, <laughs> I've got I've got <laughs> today I've got Jack, Jack White. Um, yeah, he's an interesting guy. We met through Instagram actually, so I think we've been following each other for a, for a while, um, messing messaging each other as well. And that's what led to this this insta date where now we're sitting romantically through <laughs> inside the car together recording a little podcast. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I, I guess it's been really cool. Like over the last what one, two months, we've been able to connect a bit and then go uh, just just trade a lot of stories, I think, um, and found that we've sort of have a mutual sort of shared perspective um, and approach to things, and then also with a keen sort of shared interest in, in movement, which is a good sort of baseline passion yeah. to share. And just really enjoyed, yeah, hanging out, man, and going bouldering together with you and playing around on, on the oval. So, yeah, just welcome to, to the podcast. Thank you. I think normally I like to, uh, to kick it off is just, just maybe just give a brief intro about, yeah, like who you are, what you're doing at the moment. All right. Um, so at the moment, I'm in a bit of a transitional phase between doing personal training work, um, group coaching, sort of in the in the CrossFit and strength arena, um, towards more of a meditation, mindfulness, yoga kind of thing. I'm 
soon to move down to the surf coast, at least for most of the time. We'll probably be down there most of the week and then back in Melbourne on the weekends, um, working with a guy down there who's growing his business and hopefully just building the yoga stuff on the side. Um, got a little project which is in its infancy that I'm working on, which is about um, helping creators, leaders and teachers express more clearly. And in the meantime, because of that transitional phase, I've had a lot of time to hang with your boy here. <laughs> and um, yeah, it's been, it's been great talking movement, talking philosophy, uh, life. So yeah, I guess I'm someone who's kind of interested in a lot of things around movement, the way we think, our consciousness, the way we connect. Um, and that's really what's, I guess, brought us together, hasn't it? Mm, like, I think so. Yeah, like like from when you list off all those things, it's like such such varied experience, right? Like you seem to have jumped from one one sort of perspective or field to another to another, and even now you're going over into this new realm with, uh, I guess, that new project or with with yoga as well. I think most times you come across people and there's this this element of like sticking to the one thing and, and seeing it through right like really common when i used to play hockey and stuff all the old guys you know they've been playing hockey all their all their lives mm. like what do you think it is about the way you approach things which makes you transition from one one to to the other yeah it's an interesting question man i feel like all my life i've got i've got really into things i've got like I'll pick something up and I'm, I'm super interested and I really want to pick it apart and I want to be like immersed in it and then something will just come up for some reason that grabs my attention and it's not that the first thing I did wasn't great, it's just that this new thing seems just as cool and I'm perpetually trying to balance being someone who makes progress by being a bit of a short-term specialist who actually understands what I'm talking about in a field and wanting to try all of the others because, you know, why not? Like, mm. and I, yeah. So I don't know where it really came from. I think when I was younger, um, I, I played soccer and and rugby initially, and I picked up a few injuries doing that. I guess I wasn't doing any strength training, and I was growing, and I was just a teenager. So I kind of got into the gym, um, mainly just to look good for the girls. <laughs> With my boys, we did bicep curls, push ups dips and that was about it maybe some pull-ups um and all this work afterwards is just a reversal of that right <laughs> yeah yeah basically i just got too attractive and <laughs> caused problems no but i think uh my my interests as a person tend to change the people who i hang with um often quite diverse and i suppose that just means that i get sucked into new things rather than mm. sticking to one thing um, yeah, I guess they, you like, you have to be kind of considered as well, right? Because if you keep on jumping all the time, then it's, you're being too nomadic, right? You don't get mm. so much of an understanding if it's only like every month you're trying a new thing. So say even now with like your newfound yoga practice as well, I'm guessing is this something that you're consciously going, okay, I'm going to see this out for like an X number of years or like, how do you, how do you guide with that? Like even the CrossFit, mm. I think it sounded like when you were talking about it with me, you did that for quite some time before 
then you moved on, right? Yeah, it's um, the interesting thing now that you mention it. It's it's like on the surface, it feels like I've been hopping around from things, and I have like the skills that I'm practicing, or the discipline, or the name of the the practice changes. Um, but there's, I, th- I feel like there's been something there the whole way through that I was kind of, maybe without knowing it initially, looking for mm. in those practices. So there's a there's a common thread, and that common thread, I don't know how best to word it. Maybe it was just a feeling of connection to myself or to potential or to others. That thread has kind of led me through the different things. Um, so for me, it feels like although. Um, I started off in, in like weightlifting after doing my sort of bro gym stuff and Olympic lifting. And then that led me into coaching CrossFit because they were such a receptive bunch to weightlifting training. And then that led me kind of into the interest in Edo's stuff and movement culture. So you're right. On one level, if you hop around too much, like you never scratch the surface mm. and you just can't learn enough and you never get deep enough into the content. But on another level... Um, Perhaps if your practice is a little bit more internal and maybe if there's something a little bit bigger that you're chasing, even if you don't know what, then that can be the thing that directs you. Mm, mm. Yeah. I normally have the same struggle myself, right? Because like whenever you see new things or even just things that are different to what you're doing as well, they're always like very attractive propositions, right? Like you see some, uh, something, like maybe someone does like a backflip, right? And you're yeah. not, I'm not doing any backflip tra- training. And then that desire just creeps in. You're like, maybe yeah. I should be doing something for that as as well. Um, and there's no end of like cool things that you could be doing as well. Do you think like... Is there some some sort of amount of time that you consider before then? You're like, okay, you're like, I'll, I'm, maybe you take your like yoga choice for, for a while. Was that like something that you'd been thinking for like quite some time before you have decided to to dive in into it? Yeah, um, it was, it was probably beginning when I I started to to get something that was beyond physical out of the gym honestly and that might have if you think about it, even like going to the gym to be a to be a meathead or trying to pick mm. up chicks or whatever it is or or like trying to lift the heaviest weights um it kind of it kind of gives you something and like you said with the backflips like you might see someone do a backflip or see someone do a one-arm chin-up or, or surf a hectic wave whatever it is it's like it's almost like a hey maybe this could be you feeling and it's it's wanting to chase that which brings you to the question of well who do i want to be and in yoga especially i feel like that's a really big question so mm. for me yoga's like it's kind of the glue or the natural result of asking the question oh, who do i want to be like maybe i'm the backflip dude but i'm never going to be like the best tumbler or tricker like mm. am i really going to put my time there am i going to put it here yeah. So there's this deeper question here of like searching for identity, right? That's what you're kind of alluding to. I think so. Because, yeah. yeah, like you, we get pulled in all kinds of directions by what looks cool. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, whether you chase it or whether you let it go is based on like, do you see yourself becoming that? Mm. At least for me. No, man. When, 
when do you when did you start asking these deeper layered questions such as like yeah what do I want to be or you mentioned something which was like oh I was starting to get something more from the the, the physical rather than just at the physical level um I'm, I don't know I, um, I remember it was definitely brought out of me by a really cool teacher I had at school mm-hmm. I don't know if it was always there Maybe it was, but anyway, this guy, Mr. Fairley, Melbourne High School, shout out if you're listening for any reason, (laughs) Um, and a few other cool teachers too, but he would always, if we were reading into a particular text or book, like Ransom by George Maloof or whatever it was, he'd say, so you've read this paragraph, what are the implications of this? Like, what does this mean? Not just what's it saying? And what do you think it says? But what does it mean? Like, if this were true, then then what? And maybe that kind of planted the seed um, through through high school and then into university. Kind of writing and expression was something that interested me. And so I did philosophy at uni. Um, and that was always kind of alongside the physical stuff. So I wasn't integrating it yet. I wasn't thinking, hey, I'm, I'm at the gym for a higher purpose so much. Okay. But maybe the idea of what is a higher purpose mm. and let's let's pump the chest and buys <laughs> have gradually grown together yeah. <laughs> in, a, in a more conscious way at least. <laughs> That's interesting. I didn't know that. So like when you were studying philosophy, did you see, like where, does, where did you think that that was going to lead to at that time? Oh man, uh, I had no idea. I was just like, this seems interesting. Everyone's going to uni and it seems like a smart thing to do, but I also probably should. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, we can unpack that as well. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, I just... Man... I don't even know why why I went and did it to begin with. Mm. It just seemed like the most interesting thing. I think a few people at school had said that philosophy was really cool, but mm. I never s- studied it at school. So I was like, okay, we'll give this a crack. Maybe maybe it'll transfer to something else afterwards. Mm. But beyond that, I had no idea. Didn't have a plan really. Mm. For ages after studying it and like finishing my my degree, I was at a loss for how to connect it with some meaningful action. I think there's commonality with a lot of people, right? There's this we're connecting back to what we were speaking before this this search for identity meaning behind whatever that we're we're doing there's always like that second guessing in in the mind as well but i think it's cool like what you mentioned about with your teacher it's kind of like he started fostering this this critical thinking you know beyond just the okay i'm i'm going to do this but like what's the purpose behind what what i'm doing is would that be sort of correct and then from philosophy as well at least my exposure to it is continuing down that same path of again thinking deeper asking on the on different levels as to going okay like what what is the purpose here what are we trying to achieve so it's probably just natural that afterwards you chose something that you were probably enjoying and then applied that same frame to it do you think so? Yeah. Um, I think I think the progression, I'd love to give myself the credit and say that like I, I sort of figured out how they fit together somehow, but and maybe I maybe I did, but not deliberately. It mm. was like 
through injuring myself or through a lack of maturity or uh, yeah, an, an, illabil- an inability to be who I thought I was because I'd mm. like hurt my knee and couldn't play rugby or um, because my relationship with a girlfriend was falling apart and mm. so that wasn't me anymore. These things kind of led me to ask the questions, like failing at the things that I was doing made me ask the questions and I didn't ask them when things were going well. So, I like I like this because it's kind of like this um, this rebirthing con- concept, you know. After, like you mentioned, injury or a girlfriend br- breakup, you know, those are like particularly quite traumatic events. And I'm sure, like when you go through it, you think, like, oh, every- everything's over. This <laughs> life is shit, yeah. right? <laughs> but then afterwards, you kind of if you react or respond in a positive way and you ask yourself these these questions then they lead to this this new life almost right like you've you change paths maybe you wouldn't have gotten to what you're doing right now within movement and where you're heading right now if everything was going swimmingly as well yeah I mean, I guess we're getting pretty deep here as, as well, but I guess yeah. we always have junctures within our life as to where we can go left left or left or right. Yeah, man, for sure, for sure. It's really interesting thinking about um, how things might have been different, and at the end of the day, like, you know, it's hard to say, but I'm, I'm pretty sure... I'm pretty sure that those things, like hurting my back at one point was really made me desperate to sort of rehab my body out of pain and in doing that I learned so much and I met some amazing people mm-hmm. and um, got into Ido's work through um, Jules Berg, yeah, Jules Bergmeister and um, and went to Juan's classes in Mooney Ponds for a while like all of that happened because I think because of a back injury because mm. I, I wouldn't have been seeking that I wouldn't yep. have been seeking more um, if what I had wasn't inadequate for me at that time yeah it's cool like yeah. that that's that impetus for for positive change right totally mm. totally and if you think about something as isolated on the surface as an injury like it's a musculoskeletal issue you know but the effect that that can have on your psychology and therefore the decisions you make and therefore the the life path that you take and who you meet mm. like that thing was profound for me. It fucked me up in some ways and mm. it, it hurt me in a lot of ways, but oh my goodness, like, yeah, the mentors I've had in trying to, to grow from it mm. have been incredible. So with your learnings here, with like, I guess, from your direct experiences or from whatever you've learned, like say someone gets coaching from you and they also experience like a traumatic event, let's say like an injury as well. How what would you guide them on like from from what you've learned what 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 would you instruct yeah so i think the first thing i would try to work on with them is their so i think attitude towards the injury is really important and obviously attitude is partly dependent on the reality of the situation and your ability to rehab it and the pain you're in and all that but but also what I've learned a little bit about from pain science is that your your body's perception of that thing, that event, the injury, as being really harmful or just a minor setback, that 
truly affects the like the interpretation in the system like it's as if something happens to you if that thing was um if it came with a traumatic event then it's saved as traumatic it's saved as a traumatic Mm. part of the body a traumatic kind of injury and if it came with a great event then there's kind of a different narrative Mm. so those narratives go from that moment into a level of like embeddedness within the body I guess and so a lot of my work would be making sure that we're not getting things too twisted and we're not making it too complicated by reading into the the ifs and buts and I would I would probably try to if someone was in acute pain just reassure them in some way that it's all a lot less permanent than it feels but I know that's only part of the process and the other part is like really giving them the best possible physical help and that would either be something that I could shed light on or I'd I'd if I couldn't, then I'd just refer and I'd ask all my mates, like, hey, who do you know who's great with this? And I would just... Because mm. um, I've been to enough specialists for different parts of my body, different issues, to know that the opinions can vary greatly, that scans and big words like, you know, herniation or stenosis or whatever can, can really fuck with people's heads. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's also important to have someone who's good with the nuts and bolts. Yeah, you- you're talking like on a really important point here, right? Of the person's narrative and what they hold over over that that event, but then all the events that happened after that injury event, if we say, then then like color or redefine totally. that narrative again. Like if if I go to a doctor, um, I, I'm guessing, and then the doctor says, oh no, like you're gonna need like a, a complete knee reconstruction, it's all gone, like yeah. look at the scan as well. <laughs> like, yeah, look at this dude, done. you're fucked. <laughs> yeah, then I'm pretty sure, yeah, I'm gonna believe that I'm, I, I'm done, right? So, I, I like that approach, yeah, it's like, mm. I guess you have to be practical as well still, like on the actual physical level, that there is work to be done but the perception of pain can be greatly modulated right? 100% 100% yeah um, the the interesting thing about I mean I'm, I'm not a medical specialist and just so everyone knows that yeah. <laughs> it wasn't obvious already um, the interesting thing is that the diagnosis is is somehow detached from the human being that's being diagnosed so if you have a particular issue and someone names it they're naming an issue based on very little understanding of your life, your psychology, your physical capacity, your training history. They're just saying, hey, look, uh, you've, got, you've got arthritis in your hips. Mm-hmm. And we know from the studies and from the statistics that that means this. So look, chances are you're going to need to get surgery or a hip, hip replacement when you're 40. Um, you know, arthritis only goes one way, all this shit. Mm-hmm. And it's not that it's not true. Because it might be, and it might be backed by evidence, but the other truth is that maybe you have an incredible training history. Considering you have arthritis in your hips, you move better than 95% of people. You have the capacity to build more body awareness. You've got a resilient mindset and a great like support circle. You're, you're then an outlier. You're not normal, you know. Mm. We kind of live... I guess, in the movement, strength and conditioning, 
whatever it is wellness space we're in we live in a bubble where like those norms don't always apply because normal isn't necessarily healthy it's just normal it's mm. just what everyone does yeah so this is why like yeah you got to listen and you know if if you if you're really fucked up you have to fix it but but the label isn't as important as what you can do and how you can live with your body as yeah. it is yeah yeah, the standardizations of normal, it's it, it's a confusing sort of concept. Like, yeah. It's different from person to person, I guess. But I guess we, it, it like almost goes to this element of just, just, just trust, right? Because you have your own perception, but then that starts being modulated by the inputs that you have from other people, such as doctors or specialists or, or teachers as well. Like when you when you go to these people, because you you mentioned before that you've learned off some you know, some pretty key people before as well. How do you determine like good character judgment? You know, like you come across somebody, you seek out their their help from a specialist or or a teacher, and you're like, okay, like I'm gonna come back to this guy or what this guy person told me. I'm I'm gonna like accept that as almost truth and then follow that it's a really difficult one um and i think different approaches will work for different reasons as to how you choose but i think at this point i would say i'd want to see that someone understands what i want to do if i'm rehabbing if i'm the person concerned i want to see that they understand the the demands that i want to place on my body that they're not super judgmental of the fact that I still want to be able to like squat or run or wrestle that they're more like on board with that mm. and that perhaps they understand my sport if I have a sport or my practice if I have practice um, also it'd be great to see that they've rehabbed people successfully um, like what speaks more volumes than just seeing a bunch of healthy people walk out, walk out of a particular clinic you know and mm. seeing people getting fixed and then there's the theoretical um, and academic knowledge too. But where it gets tricky is the kind of bias that happens where like, if you're going to see someone, there's the placebo effect thing where if you believe that their treatment is gonna work, it's more likely to work. Mm. And so you don't wanna go into an allied health professional's office thinking this guy this guy's going to be full of shit like you want to believe it'll work mm -hmm. it's going to help it work and buying into what they're offering you might be the thing necessary you might just need to buy into it and stick to it for a while mm. might not be perfect but maybe it's enough for you yeah the cool thing is that it works if it works the not so cool thing is that that bias might lead you to go say hey man you've got to go see the guy i saw he's the best and that person might go and see them because you've said they were the best mm. and the same kind of thing happens but perhaps perhaps they're not the right therapist for that issue or perhaps the first time they treated the person they succeeded without truly knowing what it was that fixed them mm. like i've had people work with me who've just made me really strong all over which is great strength is never not the answer but it wasn't the specific answer to my specific problem. It mm. was just a, a really good blanket approach. Yep. So man, like it's, I really don't know. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of words to say, I don't know, but 
you, you can't really say until afterwards. Yeah. You kind of have to buy in. Mm. If you don't buy in, you can't really say that was a shitty practitioner or a shitty, like, physio, for example. Yep. And then it gets complicated because if you do buy in, have you bought in because you feel good, because you believe it, or because it's actually worked and blah, blah, blah. At the end of the day, I guess if you're feeling better and if you have some clarity around how to stay feeling better, mm. then maybe you've worked with someone good. Yeah. So, I guess an interesting question is, yeah, how do you feel within your body now these days? Uh, I feel pretty good most of the time. I feel like, yeah, I'm more connected with my body than I used to be and I listen, I listen better. I'm more compassionate towards my body. Mm. I realize that it's, um, it's not some machine that I can just order around. <laughs> the approach of my body being a machine that I could just bitch slap and say, hey, let's do some squats worked for a while, but then didn't go so well. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I'm still, I still feel like I, I feel residual aches and pains from that from when I was younger and I used to like, I guess, train a bit irresponsibly, but I know that I'm in a good direction, heading in a good direction. Yeah. yeah I think there's moments sometimes, especially when you're a bit younger, you feel like you reach it like a bit of God mode and you're just like squatting 100%. almost every day and you're trying to, and then you're trying to meet that level continually as well. Right. Cause you, you, you tasted it and you're like, Oh, this feels so good. Like you should be able to do this all the time. Right. A bit of chasing the dragon. Yeah. It's like, you just, at least as a teenager becoming a man physically, you've just got like, you're just flooded with testosterone. Mm. It's epic. It's an epic anabolic playground. But it's also really dangerous if you don't know how to, like, how to be smart. Mm. And, and I know that at that age, I wasn't really... I thought I was a smart dude, but I wasn't listening to people who were smarter than me mm. enough. I definitely should have listened. I think that's, yeah, something that I've really experienced as well, is going like, oh, like, I, I don't know the right way for me at all. And then opening up that mindset to others and being trust again like trusting their opinion and then actually modifying my approach time and time again and always goes oh like like ah oh, this is the way and i think what's interesting is actually there's <laughs> there's this divide as well where sometimes you talk with somebody and they might tell you something but if they haven't reached a level of trust then you you don't do it but then if you go out on the internet and try it like research it yourself because it feels like you've put in the effort, even though it's someone else's word in an article, it might even be the same guy that told you the mm. thing, right? But you found it yourself. Then you're like, oh, I can, I can, I can trust this. Yeah. Yeah. The, the trust part's huge. Um, and you make a, a really fair point. Like if sometimes you hear advice from someone close to you, but they're too close for you to take their advice seriously mm. and to listen. Sometimes the advice comes from someone who looks externally like an authority, and so you listen very carefully. Whether that makes the advice better or worse, we don't really know. But I think maybe perhaps the, the trust comes from a sense of context for the information. Like if, if you've been searching on the net and you're trying to figure out the answer to some problem, in your search you've probably developed a little bit of a map, a bit of a mental landscape or context, and then you can kind of start to cherry pick what makes most sense within that context. But when you listen to advice from someone else, unless you know them really well and you know their context, 
either as a professional or as someone who moves really well or someone who just seems to be wise, yeah, if you don't have the context, you probably won't listen. Mm. So how do you how do you normally approach with clients then when to to build up that standard of, of trust to start giving them the advice because I'm guessing sometimes people just come to you with quite like I just want to get stronger or something like that but from your experience you know it's like you you're well versed in a, in a lot of different areas as, as well thanks man <laughs> <laughs> so like yeah do you actively think about that all the time when you're when you're coaching others like how to frame the the context thing or yeah or how to how to how to build that trust how to enter yeah. into these conversations so that then they they actually become maybe self-reliant you know like outside yeah. of just you coaching them yeah i'm i i feel like i really the thing that would really give me the biggest kick that i get the most out of would be seeing someone over time become more discerning and self-reliant in their own training or their practice. I'd, I'd want them to rely on me less um, and I'd want our relationship to become one that's a bit more of like curiosity. This is like, I guess, the dream, you know. Mm. If someone comes to you as a client who just wants to get strong, cool, that's awesome, like strength is great, let's do it. Um, and I'll obviously hold their hand a little bit more to begin with. Um, I'll establish their trust if I can by showing that I understand what they want. And if I can understand why, then I will try to understand why because that really helps with like, you know, accountability and and all of the hurdles that come up when things get tougher. But ultimately, the coolest thing is is seeing someone begin to trust themselves more. Um, but not just trust themselves for no reason, trust themselves because they genuinely know more about how to train, how to listen to their body, how to take advice, how to choose the right people to take advice from. And then it all just spreads, you know, then, then, then we're all in it together and we're all just sharing the good stuff. That's the dream. Yeah, cause it sounds super cool, right? Like then they, you're setting them up for, for, for independence, right? Which kind of works counter to if they were dependent on you, they'd just keep on being your client as well, right? Yeah, that's an interesting one. This is like my last boss, Bjorn. Um, so Bjorn owned CrossFit Bamboo for, I think it was seven years. I could be wrong. But his way of taking people under his wing and looking after them within his gym was such that they would end up developing as human beings and not mm. just, you know, get a faster Fran or whatever. Like, it was, it was everything, you know, injury prep, um, understanding how to how to show up and do the work, how to be smart about training, and the whole community was there to support that. Um, he'd be very honest with people speaking to them, but but in a loving kind of way. Like he had a good way mm. of being straight but loving, and I guess all of that contributes to this thing where at the end of the day, the the person might develop to the point where they're like, "Cool, man, you you did a great thing for me. I don't really need this anymore." Mm. But the ones who really benefited the most, I guess they would either leave and just go and do their own things, go learn from the next teacher, or they would just appreciate that so much and there'd be such a strong bond and such a strong positive association with the relationship mm. that they'd keep coming back mm. for the relationship as much as for the training. 
Um, and then the more trust you invest in an ideal world mm. in your teacher, the more the teacher can serve you. Yeah. I like how you've really actively engaged with like two communities that I think sometimes get a lot of flack from, you know, like movement elitists, <laughs> like, let, let's call them that, but like CrossFit and, and, and yoga, you know, normally people kind of like come out from those to, to get into whatever this thing, this movement, movement culture thing is, but like from what it sounds like you, like you had a really positive experience, you know, working out of this CrossFit fit box for, for so long. And then now you're like getting deeper into, in, into yoga and, and discovering what it is there. Yeah. How, how do you see, see, see that, see that playing out? Like what, why is there this sort of divide and maybe you can, yeah, share a bit more about like your experience about how maybe it's just, yeah, it's just all bullshit as well. Mm -hmm. Like there is just goodness in all of this. Yeah. Like the, the name, the name is just a name at the end of the day. It's just a brand, isn't it? It's mm. like you, you can attach yourself to a brand or you can attach yourself to a tribe and it's that identity thing playing in. If that name or the brand dictates your approach to the point where you're making big mistakes, then you're really messing up. But if it's just a vehicle to get people in, to get them on board, and then once they're there, you give them your best, then there's no problem whether you're a yogi or a crossfitter or, or whatever. I like that. That's, that's really cool. Yes. Yeah. And it's like, it's, it's silly that there can be such, I mean, it's kind of fun. Look, let's be real. It's fun to bash crossfitters. It's fun to bash yogis. Even if you've done both crossfit and yoga, it's mm -hmm. still fun. And there are things that you can definitely bash. Yeah. But you know, like I've seen enough people now to know that some yoga teachers just don't know much about movement and others are like amazing movers and just get it. And some CrossFitters only care about the Fran and others are like just programming wizards and biomechanical wizards and great motivators of human beings. So yeah, I don't know, man. It's, it is what it is at the end of the day. Call it what you want. Quality is quality. <laughs> I guess, yeah, when you get together such large populations or collections of people as well, you're going to have such large variants as well. And from box to box, studio to studio, like leader, member to member, it's going to be vastly, vastly different. Yeah. 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 So like maybe take us through, like what do you personally practice like from day to day these days? Like <laughs> how do you, how do you choose? What do you, what are you doing at the moment? What are you heading for? Um, so I kind of see my practice on a few levels. There's like a, there's a, I guess a bigger human practice or a, a practice of figuring out what my life's about, what life is and all those questions, which are super interesting. You can chase forever. They'll lead you to interesting places, but they're also a bit wanky. <laughs> and then there's the, the practice, which is like very nuts and bolts. Like what, what do I want to achieve? Come on. Like you've got a body. You're a youngish dude. <laughs> like, what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do, man? Like, so in that respect at the moment, my, my balancing act is between working on strength components, like gymnastic strength, like handstand push-ups, working towards one-arm chins, all the, all the kind of cool stuff. Um, hip mobility, maintaining some 
some brute leg strength where I can and then trying to keep my body and my spine feeling good because you know on and off I've had some pretty bad back pain over the years and that's been a, a learning curve but so there's progressing in strength and staying healthy but then there's also stuff like surfing and climbing which I love because surfing connects me to nature climbing connects me to a really cool community um, and those are the other parts of the practice that I, I really want to keep up um, if I felt better in my body and more resilient at the moment and if I could dedicate more time to sports specific training then I would probably get back into jiu-jitsu like grappling because mm. again it's like a great community it's quite like yoga in that you've got to be calm although you're in I guess a violent or uncomfortable situation potentially but most of my practice is kind of just that strength practice or the surfing or the climbing Yoga for me is more of a philosophy of self-inquiry or trying to connect with others more openly and honestly um, and to kind of unlearn this divide that we've picked up between the mind and the body. I want to I use the whole system better. I don't personally get on the mat to practice yoga that much and do traditional like asana yoga shapes. Um, but recently I've, I've been getting a little bit more into that because I'm teaching more and I need to have some content mm -hmm. that's, that's engaging. And I've been starting to get really interested in Qigong as well, but I don't know much about it. So Yeah, that seems like a really mysterious yeah, art. Yeah, that's where it's headed. So shared a bit of that today in my yoga class. People seem to dig it. Mm -hmm. Just the connecting the breath with an intention of movement and not just moving from shape to shape. It's like mm. the, the transitions are important. So do you, when you teach yoga, do you actively prompt the class to have this perspective of self-inquiry or this, um, I guess, that, that interest of yours to come through rather than just going from asana to asana? Yeah, I, I, I just find that if I'm teaching something I don't really feel and I'm not engaged with, mm. then it feels really flat and I feel like I'm trying to be good at something that I'm not going to be good at because I just can't feel it. Mm. Um, the more, the more I can connect it with what I'm interested in and what I feel in my own body, or the philosophies that I, um, I dig into, the better it gets for me as a teacher. And I'm, I'm inferring that if it feels better for me and if I feel more connected, then the class is going to feel that too. Mm. I don't know for sure what they want, but I try to. I try to share a bit of what I love within the constraints of, you know, a one-hour class on mats mm. in a yoga studio, for example, where there are, you know, you can't just move around all the time, and not everyone can pop mm. up into handstands. So, so, yeah. What do you find are like the differences with the with the crowd that you serve? Like, say, when you taught at CrossFit Bamboo versus. If someone comes and like wants to get movement training versus like you you ran you run yoga like mm. what are the primary differences you normally see within this sort of crowd when they when they come that's a really cool question that's uh that's a cool one to think about i think 
I just want to touch on something first because it's the first thing that comes to mind, but I will get to the people. The environment's the first thing that I notice that's really different, mm. and that might seem obvious to some people, but teaching in a yoga studio makes you feel like a different kind of human compared to teaching in a gym mm. where you really have to, like, yeah. you know, whip the energy up and, like, encourage pushing through discomfort. And obviously there's a balance and there are common traits within all of them, but these different environments, I think, seem to attract different people based on what they're looking for um, at different times in their life. So in, in, in CrossFit, it seems to be more about, the general thing is it's more of an output. I wanna, I wanna be like harder to kill, you know? <laughs> I wanna be able to do everything. I wanna be strong, fit, um, mobile. I want it to be measurable. And I just wanna go and let out some fury as well, mm. hopefully in a measured way. So you tend to get people who seem a little bit more A-type Sometimes, this is a generalization, but I guess we're dealing with a bit of a generalization mm. here. Like sometimes people are more, they like to get after it, so to speak. But the more holistic the CrossFit gym is, the less likely you are to get those like strong A-type people mm. and the more likely you are to find the same people as in the yoga studio. Mm. And the yoga studio, oh man, like all the things that you could take the piss out of yoga for being, you know, airy-fairy, spiritual, woo-woo, uh... <laughs> it can be all of that, but often it's actually in a really cool way as well. You know, like I love, I love digging into spiritual stuff. I love people who, people who are willing to connect over things that they can't articulate and see straight away and things they can't measure because that side of the world is real. Mm -hmm. But I guess the people who do yoga just tend to be, they tend to be more attracted to down tempo and to relaxation, whereas... The others, the CrossFitters, tend to be more up-tempo. <laughs> it's funny, right? Because they're both rooted in physical practice. So, I mean, I guess depending on the yoga that you that you choose to do. Yeah, that depends too. Yeah. Some people's classes are like super sweaty, you know, like hot yoga, power yoga. Mm. It's basically just like the same stuff as CrossFit. Mm. You know, it looks different, but... Just without the blaring sound system. They're going for the same feeling. Yeah, it's different, different exterior, but same, same intention. Yeah. So say you had like some guy or girl come up to you and was just like, you know, teach me your stuff, you know, I've been following you for a while, looks awesome. Like who would that, what qualities do you think that you would, you would ask for? Like, are you explicit as, as that sometimes to to people that come and want coaching from you and like what what stuff would you give them so what i i don't know what i would ask for from them is an interesting one that that i used to not be clear on and it made things difficult it's like i initially i started training uh training good mates of mine who'd be interested in movement this was outside of my regular coaching so i'd, I'd have mates from uni who were just curious and they might have been studying physio or they might have been studying law, whatever. We just kind of clicked. Mm. And so I was just so rewarded by the fact that people like me wanted to hang out and move and that I could train them and that was my job, mm. that I was pretty chill about it. But the problem with being too chill and training your friends is that you don't ask enough of them mm. and you don't enforce the limitations that they need to grow against. So it can get a little bit like fun and social that's great but at the end of the day I've learned 
I've learned more recently that it's that professional relationship and the being someone for them who they can't be for themselves, which is important. So that's what I need to offer. Um, so if someone said, "Hey, I want to, I want to train with you. I want to, I want to learn your stuff," I'd be like, "Okay, <laughs> what specifically?" Because, because there's a lot, there's a lot of it. And I guess there's something in crossing that casual, uh, ca- casual barrier. You're talking like about boundaries, right? Yeah. Like there's a strength in boundaries, and then knowing that, hey, like when you come to me for this stuff, then, you know, it's like we enter into this container and then that's how we're going to get the most out of it. But then if we just continue being like, oh yeah, maybe you do this and it's a bit more less pressured, then that can lead to like worse result. Yeah. I've, at times I've found it really hard to balance. Like you want to be understanding, you need to be on someone's team but you also have to know them well enough and truly love them enough to not let them take their own shit. Mm. So, and again, this doesn't come naturally for me. I'm like a pretty agreeable person. If someone doesn't want to do something, my instinct is to say, that's cool, man. Just like, don't do it. You know, I don't care. I'm not going to make you. But, but if they're paying you and it's your job, then you're not just someone who teaches them the movements and the programming. You kind of have to like, you kind of have to push them in the back. Mm, yeah, you got to put the foot down there. Like, yeah, yeah, and that's a that's a skill that, as I said, it's it's been developed for me in the last couple of years, from from next to nothing, and I'm still developing it. Um, but I feel like the better I can manage people, the more the movement tools or the training or the programming or the whatever it is, the more that can actually help. Mm. Here's an interesting one for you, I think. It's like, you know, people talk about this movement thing, like getting into the movement culture. Like, what, what is movement for, for you? But because I realize this when I talk to people uh, who are just like normal people, right? I'll be like, yeah, I'm doing like <laughs> movement training. They're like, what the hell is that? <laughs> they have no idea what I'm talking about. So... Yeah, I mean, personally to you, when you mention, like, the term movement, like, what does that mean for you? What, what is it? So, yeah, it's, it's a funny one, hey? It's like, it's such an obvious, it's such a, it's one of those words like, like money or like, uh, Mm. like if you're a, if you're a finance broker and you work in the you're working with the US dollar. It's like calling yourself a US dollar broker or something. It's like, no shit, dude. Like movement is always happening. So when you when someone says, what are you doing? You're like movement training. They're like, what? It's like, yeah, of course you are. But what the fuck does that mean? It's so general. <laughs> Sorry if I'm swearing too much on this thing. <laughs> um, so uh, to, me, it, to me, movement is... Yeah, it's it's that pretty general, pretty accessible thing. If I'm teaching someone movement, I guess I could be teaching them a philosophy. I guess I could be teaching them about like moving more, about exploring their body, like a, a somatic practice where they're tuning in with what they feel um, and kind of learning the language of movement like they would learn the language of, of English or something, mm. you know, like learning how to speak in that language with their body. It's like a dialogue mm. and how to express that in their body. That's, again, hugely broad, 
And this is where the yoga practice comes in because it, it leads into the way we think and the way we perceive our body. And it's a huge area and like where I come in, where I come into it in that part, I don't really know and I'm still figuring out. Mm. From the more nuts and bolts part, like what is movement to me, it's literally just making people more resilient to move in the patterns that they need to move in throughout their day. Mm. So like if you're, if you're a surfer, it's teaching you how to use your shoulders properly, giving you ways to strengthen the shoulders, teaching you the, the protocols of you know, volume and recovery and intensity and all of that kind of strength and conditioning stuff. Mm -hmm. Or it could be you know, teaching someone how to hinge to pick something up, like deadlifting, strength training, and also preparing them for the time when they don't hinge. And that's really just strength training. Mm. So I guess when I think of movement, my approach, what, what I actually act upon is a combination of strength training and mindfulness for the body. The whole movement culture thing and that movement philosophy, that's just like such a can of worms. I, I, don't, I don't even know. Like Again, it's, it's multi-leveled. You know, mm. Ido talks about like there is no life without movement and all this kind of stuff. Like mm. you move, therefore you are. He's kind of put movement at the top of the pyramid of everything, mm. you know. It's not I think, therefore I am. It's like movement is, is everything. So from that respect, you can be a movement philosopher. You can be a movement theologist. <laughs> it's so big. But at the same time, sometimes that culture, like the movement culture, can be very, very small. Mm. And outside of like QDRs and rotational bridges and capoeira movements, one-arm handstands, rhythm work, or all outside of the obvious ones, it's like surfing doesn't really count as movement. Bouldering does, because I don't know, bouldering's been taken into the movement hub mm. of things that are cool. Uh, lawn bowls doesn't count. Rugby doesn't count, like they're not movement culture things per se, mm. but it's still movement. Mm. So I don't really know, but I do know that the, the like Edo is super interesting and the whole movement culture thing goes super deep and mm. like into it spans into music, it yep. spans into yeah, so I don't know, That's it's a big one, dude. You asked a big <laughs> question, like, I don't know. <laughs> but I, I like it, though. You still have this, like, strong element of just, like, I'm going to think for myself, right? You know, like, the surfing thing, you mentioned this the other day, you're like, it just feels good, feels nice for me. Like, I do it, I enjoy my day. Like, I'm just going to keep on doing that. Like, Yeah, man. You're, like, like, you're winning at movement if you're doing that. Like, mm. that's it. Like, you what more do you want? <laughs> yeah, I think sometimes, you know, when you get deep into some of this training as well, you can lose sight of things outside of that scope of this, like, really tightly defined goal, you know? It's like you want that one arm chin so bad that that nothing else matters. Yeah. But then you zoom out and you're like, oh, like, there's so much else as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah man, like, it's that balance between... The one-armed chin is not going to matter to you when you're 90, but that doesn't mean it shouldn't matter now. It's just like you kind of have to, you kind of have to integrate both. Mm. You're not just doing it for the one-armed chin. You're not just moving to, you know, self-express. There's like there's a little bit of I need to progress here because I have a body. I'm immortal. My 
I am a mortal, not immortal. <laughs> My body's going to deteriorate. I want to get strong. And I'm moving to express myself and just be human and just enjoy life, you know. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. One thing I wanted to bring up was like, so one thing that struck me on your page when I first like came across was like, yeah, you your your courage to just be speaking to the camera all the time these <laughs> random speaking talking videos and you know this is something that i've dabbled and, and tried with before and i find like incredibly hard but you have these like really well crafted sometimes like five ten minute you know, <laughs> speeches oh, that, <laughs> that go on as well yeah maybe do you want to unpack a little bit about like what you're doing there and how you started with that like yeah, yeah what's that what is this thing so the guy who i think coined the random talking video is ryan orico he's like this guy i think he's from oh, i don't know exactly where he's from but he was kind of based in california or la and he's just a really interesting dude who was kind of a yoga teacher for a while but very like counter yoga like he would he'd swear a lot he'd be he'd be really candid and he he'd have like balloons and all sorts of fun stuff in his yoga classes and i don't know how long he did that for but he kind of made this marketing thing out of it like hey look being a little bit of an anti-hero upsetting some people um and having the having the courage to do that the courage to be disliked to use that term can really help you in where you want to go mm. So he just started saying, hey, well, you can practice this by doing random talking videos. 60 seconds of unplanned dialogue into the camera. No agenda, just speak. And it's not about, like, being counterculture. It's not about being cool. It's just, like, speak, hit upload, let it go. Put it out, let it That's go. That's cool. So do you, do you not plan, like, at all beforehand? Or yeah, so like... th this kind of developed for me. So it's it started out with this really interesting mirror of like, can you just do it first take and let it go? Yep. Or are you going to edit this and, <laughs> and be a wuss? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I kind of did the one minute videos for a little while, but then I started to realize that I was getting over my fear of talking into the camera. Mm. And so I just started to say what was on my mind. And sometimes it would be long, sometimes short. I've been doing it for quite a while now. And sometimes I'm like, oh... Am I going to post this? I'm just in a funny mood versus, oh, I need to be authentic. Fuck it, I'll post it anyway. Mm. So the, the thing about these videos is like, for me, it's a, it's a practice where I can hold a bit of a mirror to myself and see how I come across. Mm. And it's also a way for me to assess whether I'm judging that harshly and not letting it be seen mm. or whether I'm willing to let it go and be judged. I think that's like a really important thing for people who are teachers, creatives, leaders, whatever, to be able to do. Mm. Um, and it's a way that I've been able to just gradually learn to speak a little bit more clearly, perhaps. Sometimes I plan them. Sometimes I speak off the cuff. Um, a few of the longer ones where I'm really trying to say a particular thing, I might have like half an hour, 45 minutes God forbid, sometimes an hour of unused clips in my phone where I'm trying to say that thing the way I want to say it. Mm. And that's not really the point of the random talking video originally. Mm. But I guess it led me to knowing what I want to say, mm. whereas before I didn't really know. 
So there's heaps there, and I would say to anyone, like, 100% play with it, even if you don't upload it. Um, just film yourself talking. It might seem really weird. You might seem like a crazy person to yourself. But again, those are all just judgments. It's all just stuff coming up, and it's mm. a really cool medium to explore those things. How have you found it to alter your own perception of when you're expressing outside of just recording yourself? Um, I think I'm, I'm a bit more comfortable articulating my thoughts without prior preparation. I think like it's just sheer volume of practice trying mm. to say something the way you mean it makes you a little bit better than you would have been if you didn't have the practice. Still feels different talking to someone but not as different as it used to feel. Now it's like the, the boundary between speaking into the camera and speaking to the world and speaking to myself, they're all kind of closer. Whereas before it was like, oh, me on video is not the same as me in person. So I guess it's helped me to be a bit more congruent. Yeah, it's super cool, man. Like this whole concept of just shipping it out. Yeah. Just keep on shipping it out. You know, Seth Godin talks about this a lot. Just like ship, ship the work out. Like, don't think about it. It's just better out and then you just learn afterwards. Because there's a lot of times when I've done similar before and you're just hovering over that button, you know, upload. Yeah. Like, I can't do it. <laughs> I don't want to do it. There's something that just stops you. Totally. Yeah. What, what that is and whether it's you or whether it's conditioned and that's, that's super interesting. Um, no, I definitely, I definitely still hover sometimes, mm. but it's perfectionism. And I guess whether you want that or whether you don't depends on what you're trying to achieve. Mm. But I, I loved how you said the other day, I think it was in a comment. You were like, you have to express it first sometimes before you can get clear on what you're trying to say. It's like just so many of us probably think that it ha we have to be clear before we start to talk and that really shuts things down, like closes off connection, mm. closes off the practice. But if we can ship it, like what, as you say, um, it's a lot more of an opening. Um, also Gary V. Gary V is cool. I don't know if anyone follows him. Yeah, but yeah, he posts a lot of stuff. He posts a shit ton of stuff to the point where it's almost like, okay, dude, like, but he doesn't care. He just, yeah. he'll contradict himself sometimes. Um, he posts things and he's like, he's, he's just completely honest and he just chucks it out there. And the dude's so successful. And at the end of the day, it's like Instagram, you know, you're not going to, if you're an influencer and you work for yourself or something, or even if you, <laughs> if you got 300 followers and they're all your mates, then you're not going to lose your job over it yeah. just by speaking your mind, you know? That's a good, good reminder. Yeah. You can build it up all in your, in your mind. Right. <laughs> and then in the end, it's like, what does it matter at all? Like it, it can matter as well, but like f for your mates as well, like they, they kind of trust you. They, they know you as well. So. Yeah, and like I think you'd have to, I think you'd really have to mess up for it to go bad. I think mm. you're the the point at which we stop and we will no longer like allow ourselves to share is probably way before the point where it actually gets embarrassing for everyone else. Mm. At least with this kind of stuff, with the self expression mm. on Insta, like I think we often shut ourselves down before someone else would shut us down. Mm. Like we police ourselves more heavily than the people around us would police us. Yep. And that's super interesting. 
So tell us a bit about this new project that you got going on, because it kind of follows on a little bit on on this thread, right? And you, yeah, maybe I'll just leave it to you, like unpack it a little bit. Maybe you want to just talk about what you got going on here. Yeah, cool, man. Um, so it's called the Fractal Project, and it's basically about helping people sharpen their minds. It's like I call it a mind sharpener for creators, leaders, and teachers. Um, because creators, leaders, and teachers are the people who really have to express clearly, uh, think clearly, communicate, and act meaningfully. You know, they have to have their ducks in line. Otherwise, there's a tremendous amount of effort that's wasted. And um, creators, teachers, and leaders also tend to be the kind of people who need to check on their energy levels quite a lot. You know, like, mm. especially if you're an independent, it's really hard to draw that line between output, mm. me time, energy inputs, productivity, and all of that. So the clearer we can express and communicate and think, the less wasted energy there is along the line between us having the thought and getting our thing shipped out into the world. Um, and the more the more connection there is between the person speaking and the person hearing or the person delivering the service and the person receiving. So really, the Fractal Project thing is about kind of cutting out that messy space where energy and meaning is lost in communication or in planning and execution. Um, I'm hoping that I'll be able to work with a few people who can help to flesh out various aspects of this because there's the, the spoken communicative aspect of how can we listen better, how can we speak more clearly and be understood and understand. There's the visual and sort of systematic aspect of I'm going to plan my day and I need to have a structure to order my chaos. Mm. Um, but all of it is about kind of bridging the gap between the, the abstract and what is concrete and meaningful and achievable. Um, and the name fractal is basically to represent the fact that a, a good system or a good practice can be scaled to any level and can communicate meaning in both a simple and a complex way. So if there's something you really believe in, then you need to be able to explain the big picture philosophy. Mm. Like you need to be able to explain why we should truly care about it. And you also need to be able to explain how exactly you should go about starting to act on it. Mm. And so this is just like the the repeating pattern or the, the practice or the, the offering that sits between the two. That's super cool, man. And I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm excited to see what you know comes out. Whether it, it's like first off in a van or some sort of gathering as well. Yeah, like I guess what you touch on there is like some quite powerful change that you want to enact with um, certain people with like bringing something out in, into life, right? Ship, shipping it out. Like I guess yeah. that's the an an end result from an idea which is so abstract into a practical element. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think we if we get lost in the abstract, if we can't ship it because we either don't have our own voice or we don't have the courage or we don't have the system and the support, then it invalidates the idea. And the idea is usually really valid and important. It's just mm. that it hasn't found the legs, you know? It doesn't have its own legs yet. Mm. But yeah, hopefully we're going to just gather a few people who are of like mind and interested in this stuff. So if you're listening and that's you, then hit us up. 
um, just get together and chat, flesh it out, talk about what it means to to you. Um, and then from there, you can start to take more shape. We can start to work on workshops for particular topics, for particular applications. I've got a mate who's interested in sort of, in his own way, talking about the way this relates to business. I'm interested in the way we kind of map our thoughts and express verbally. Um, yeah, but there are so many elements and the only way that we really develop something big and powerful to offer on a wide scale is if, if we get a lot of collaboration and a lot of a lot of thought going on around it. Yeah, sounds super cool, man. Um, I guess, yeah, is there anything else that you'd like to, to share whilst we got you on here? I'm going to have to get you on at it <laughs> again, I reckon. Like, it'll probably Thanks, be dude. like a, focusing on another sort of topic. <laughs> Um, well, yeah, man, I've been talking a lot through this podcast and you've been asking a lot of really good questions and I feel like, um, I'm glad you're doing this cause I think it, it suits you well. Like asking the right questions is such a skill oh, and it's, it really, you can bring out aspects of people that they couldn't bring out themselves. It's a great dialogue. So I'm really grateful for that. Um, but also, man, I want to just have a, brief chat about how we use Insta and social because yep. you reached out to me on Instagram and you know, we've been following each other for a bit. You commented on some of my stuff. I'd seen some of your stuff, but the fact that you actually teed up a catch up and that you were so open to doing that and you're like, Hey man, let's hang and talk about movement and just kind of put it out there. Um, I think is really great. I reckon that's something that we can all do more of. Um, yeah, I think we've got these like great, tools right that don't need to be just set up for just like the never-ending infinite scroll right which like is so <laughs> it's so addictive but you forget that they're like real people behind each of these posts and you follow them for a reason because there's kind of like these connecting threads because the content is is an expression of, of themselves right and I think the day when Instagram implemented that direct message function, like I didn't really understand the power of it, I think, until like a few months in after that. Then I was like, oh, you, you can actually just message like almost anyone in the world now that you're like getting interested in. This is crazy. So, yeah, like Jack brings up a good point. I think if you're ever wondering about connecting with more people and then thinking oh like how can I get into this or how can I how do, how can I connect more with people that are into the same thing as me I mean yeah look at the gram man you can just open <laughs> you can open it up follow someone and just message them and it's not like it's going to a robot there's like real people on the other end of it so like for me I think each and every time I've done this it's like it's always been like amazing. So yeah, thanks for bringing that up. That's I think is more important point. Yeah, dude. Yeah, we all we all needed like actually get out there and, and use the social to be social. And uh, mm. yeah, just a lot of love for you for doing it, man. It's yeah. it's great. Thanks, yeah. man. Um, maybe do you want to wrap up? Like, yeah, where can people find out more about your stuff, what you do? Like, cool. give us the creds, like their dresses. <laughs> <laughs> So I've got a website which I fiddle with way too often and probably changes from day to day, but that's called jackwhitemovement.com. 
Um, my Instagram is just at Jack White because I'm the one and only Jack White and I don't listen to the White Stripes. <laughs> and then I don't really use Facebook that much, but Jack White movement on Facebook. Um, yeah, but if you're listening to this and you, you vibe with what we're talking about, then 100% I'm putting my hand up as someone you can get in touch with, contact and keen to catch up in person. Because after all this, we're, we're talking about movement, right? We're talking yeah. about like connection and and the real world. So let's take it from the virtual into the real. Um, well, yeah, that's all I like, got. <laughs> yeah, thanks a lot, Jack. We'll, we'll wrap it up there. I think maybe we'll have a bit of a wander out at this park as well. Have a bit of a play around maybe. So thanks guys for listening. And that's it. That's episode three. Thanks, Jack, for joining us. And thank you for listening. If you like this podcast, please remember to subscribe, share with a friend, and feel free to connect with me. You can find me on Instagram. That's at Fayonp, at P-H-A-O-N-P. And just send me a message. I would love to connect.